and we are all the way in Zechariah. Zechariah has some, uh, is one of the most quoted prophets in the New Testament. I remember when Garrett Smith, who's taught here seven or eight times, he's, he was with the Jews for Jesus, he taught on Zechariah, and I was astonished just how many messianic prophecies there are in Zechariah. So we will be starting in uh, the middle of chapter 9. Before we begin, let's pray. Father, I just thank you in Jesus' name for this time together. And I pray, Father, that you would speak to us through this, through this prophet. And Lord, as so many of the prophets, you know, he spoke to the people of Israel at the time. But he has so much to say to us today. He has so much to say about your return, Lord. And I pray, Father, in Jesus' name, build us up in your word this evening. Amen. Okay, Zechariah, I, um, I hate to disappoint so many of you, but for the first time in months, I did not bring that prophetic timeline to show you where exactly he is amongst the kings of Israel. Um, actually, he, uh, I, I often show this timeline um, where uh, matching up the kings of Israel with the prophets um, who prophesied during the time of the kingdom. And so... Uh, Zechariah and the prophet right before Zechariah, Haggai, were actually prophets who came on the scene after, well after, 70 years after the last king of Israel. So the first king of Israel was Saul. The last uh, king of Israel was a guy by the name of Zedekiah. The prophet Jeremiah was really the last prophet in Jerusalem for 40 years. He pleaded with the children of Israel, repent or this city and this temple is going to be destroyed. Over and over again for 40 years, Jeremiah. Phenomenal book, book of Jeremiah. But they didn't listen and it all came to fruition. Jerusalem was destroyed Many of the inhabitants of Jerusalem, including Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, were carted off to Babylon. At least a third of the people were killed. And uh, it was more or less abandoned. It was more or less a mountain. It left as a mountain of rubble. But one of the things that Jeremiah prophesied is that this, he said this, your exile in Babylon, in other words, your time, Israel's time, away from the area we know as Palestine, was going to be 70 years. They were going to go undergo a 70-year exile. And indeed, after 70 years, from the first time the king Nebuchadnezzar came into uh, is, uh, Jerusalem, he actually came three times, the first time, first two times, he sort of set up puppet kings. He didn't destroy it. 
the third time he destroyed. But from the time, the, the first time he came and the time that they returned was 70 years. The king of Persia at the time gave an executive order for um, Israel to rebuild its temple. So a pagan king gave an executive order for, Jerusalem, for the Jews to, rebuild, to return to Jerusalem and to rebuild their temple. So uh, I can't remember the number, Thirty or 40,000 Jews come back from Babylon to Jerusalem. They begin to rebuild the temple. Their neighbors or the people who had been living there for 70 years started getting really nervous and stirred up trouble went to the king's successor and said, you don't want these people building this temple. You really don't. And the king, actually, uh, the, the king who is now a different king, issued an, uh, an executive order saying, oh yeah, you guys need to stop. So they stopped after one or two years. The Lord didn't tell them to stop. But the, ki- the king had told them to stop. And they didn't, they didn't push the issue. They didn't persevere. And so the former temple still as a, as a mountain of rubble and 14 or 15 years come by and that's where Haggai, who was right before Zechariah and, Ze- and Zechariah show up on the scene. Haggai is mostly rebukes. Man, this guy kind of reminds me of Nehemiah. I mean, he, he was a rebuker. Zechariah was a lot of visions. He gave visions. He gave very encouraging visions about what Jerusalem was going to be someday. At that time, it was desolate. And uh, he gave these wonderful visions, many of which we have seen fulfilled within you know, the, the last um, few generations. But then in chapter 9, he uh, does very similar to what Daniel did, and he and Daniel were all, Zechariah and Daniel were almost contemporaries, but Daniel has this sweeping view, um, vision that he gives um, of the, really, of the next two, three thousand years. Zechariah gets into some of that, and in chapter nine, he begins, um, he begins a prophecy that was to happen two or three hundred years after this time. It's a prophecy of Alexander the Great where he goes into great detail of Alexander the Great. And he wasn't going to show up on the scene for a couple hundred years or a hundred years, 150, something like that. And gives very uh, meticulous detail about how Alexander swept through Lebanon. He... uh, bypassed Jerusalem. He went south and destroyed the Philistines just, and this is a, it actually is exactly what happened. But then in verse nine, he says this, and this is an oft-quoted verse, and this is where we ended last week. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. So here he does what prophets often do. He just goes from the near-term future to sort of the intermediate-term future. Sometimes they go to the distant future, but here he goes sort of to the time of Messiah, to the coming of Messiah. He says, rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just 
and having salvation lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. Of course, this is fulfilled with Jesus coming into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. This is one of those prophecies of the Messiah that the Jews probably didn't pay a lot of attention to. Why? That word lowly. They didn't like that. Lowly. Lowly and riding on a donkey. The pictures of the Messiah they liked were the, were the, the Messiah coming back in strength and defeating um, their enemies. And, and so the prophets themselves really were unable to distinguish at the time that many of them, um, that really there were two going to be two appearances of the Messiah. The first time he would come just having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey and paying for our sin. It was a sin problem that only God, the God-man, could ever deal with. And so he came first, lowly and riding on a donkey. And so that is quoted. And then, lo and behold, he zooms right back to the near future and starts dealing with the area of Palestine two or three hundred years, two or three hundred years after he lives, Zechariah lives. He says in verse 10, I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim. This is referring to the chariot of, of Rome under Alexander the great. It says, And the horse from Jerusalem, the battle bow shall be cut off. He shall speak peace to the nations. His dominion shall be um, from sea to sea and from the, the, the river to the ends of the earth. Um, so here, here, there is, this is one of those dual prophecies where it's, it's really, it's talking about two things. And those of you who have been with us, um, probably by now you're getting used to this, but it has fulfillment, it has a double fulfillment. One fulfillment here is that after Alexander, there was a, a king by the name of Antiochus Epiphanes uh, who uh, took over um, after, rather after Alexander the Great, he took over after Alexander died. And he was the ruler. After Alexander died, um, his empire was divided up under four kings. Um, eventually, this guy named Antiochus Epiphanes uh, rose up. And verse 10 appears to be a reference to the fact that Rome, or uh, not Rome, but this Grecian kingdom, sorry, I'm getting it mixed up between Greece and Rome, this Grecian kingdom that would be installed under Alexander the Great would be cut off. But then this is also appears to be a reference to um, the Antichrist. And at the time of the Antichrist, where at the time of Jesus' return, um, that the, 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 the ruler would be cut off because it says he, 
it's referring to, to Jesus, the, the millennial reign. He shall speak peace to the nations. His dominion shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Some people think that river there is the river that goes under the temple that is referred to in, the Ezek- in Ezekiel, that, that temple that's going to be there in Jerusalem in the, at the end times. As for you also, because of the blood of your covenant, I will set your prisoners free from the water, waterless pit. Return to the stronghold, you prisoners of hope. Even today I declare that I will restore double to you. For I have bent Judah, my bow, fitted the bow with Ephraim, and raised up your sons against your sons, O Greece. So if I haven't confused you enough, this is a reference to, again, Antiochus Epiphanes. At, at the time of Antiochus Epiphanes, this is something like 150, 200 years before Christ, the Maccabees. There's actually a book in the Apocrypha about this, um, under, who, who were, um, was like a Jewish sect. The Maccabees defeated this um, Antiochus Epiphanes or, or, and his, his, um, his Greek kingdom here. And that's, and that's where it references there, against your sons, O Greece. Now keep in mind, this is, a couple hundred years before Greece was a power. So this is a prophecy here, a very specific, specific prophecy, and made you like the sword of a mighty man. The Lord will be seen over them. His arrow will go forth like lightning. The Lord will blow the trumpet and go with whirlwinds from the south. The Lord of hosts will defend them. They shall devour and subdue with sling stones. They shall uh, drink and roars with wine. They shall be filled with blood like basins, like the corner of the altar. It was a tremendously bloody battle when the Maccabees retook Jerusalem in the year something like 150, 200 uh, BC. The Lord, their God, will save them in that day as the flock of his people. For they shall be like the jewels of a crown, lifted like a banner over his land. For how great is its goodness and how great is its beauty. Grain shall make the young men thrive and new new wine the young women. And so there you have it, chapter 9, a confusing chapter for many. You know, it's really tough reading through some of the prophets because they hip-hop uh, not the modern hip hop, but the, you know they hip hop between uh, different uh, 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 prophetic events, and so Zechariah here, similar to what Daniel does, get, there's a chapter really dedicated to Alexander the Great of all people and his successor Antiochus Epiphanes. Chapter ten, he's going to go back to hit the present time at the time where the temple is being rebuilt, at the time the Jews came back to Babylon. I'm telling you, you need commentaries for some of this stuff to follow along, but if you read very carefully, it really does make sense. So now he's going back to the people, and he's, again, he's coming alongside Haggai, uh, the prophet Haggai in chapter 10, and he's speaking to the people who have not 
um, yet built this temple, even though they were ordered to do so. And, and between Haggai and Zechariah, this temple gets built. It gets built. Verse 10 says, ask the Lord for rain in the time of the latter rain, and the Lord will make flashing clouds. He will give them showers of rain, grass in the field for everyone. So just ask the Lord. Ask the Lord. For the idols speak delusion. The diviners envision lies and tell false dreams. They comfort in vain. Therefore, the people wend their way like sheep. They are in trouble because there is no shepherd. My anger is kindled against the shepherds, and I will punish the goat herds, for the Lord of hosts will visit his flock. So what's going on here is he's telling the people who are going to, uh, that they're going to build the temple, and the Lord is saying, look, you guys the, 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 the judgment is over. Nebuchadnezzar destroyed Jerusalem. The land lied desolate for 70 years. There, there has been judgments in the land. There was famines that God sent in the, in the days up to the time that Jerusalem destroyed. There was, there was famine. There was natural uh, disaster. And he's saying, okay, I am going to just, I, I, we're, the temple's going to be rebuilt, and I'm going to show you a brand I'm going to give you a brand new season. So ask me for rain. He says, ask the Lord for rain. Ask, ask me for it. And, and, and it says, the Lord will make like flashing clouds. He will give them showers of rain, grass in the field for everyone. And, and, and so he's, he's telling them, you guys, I'm going to prosper you. I know it doesn't look really good right now. The temple is in, 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 in there's just rubble now. I get it. But you will see, I am going to put, signs and wonders will follow my commands here, um, is what he's getting at. Now, at the uh, middle of verse 3, it says, For the Lord of hosts will visit his flock, the house of Judah, and will make them as his royal horses in the battle. For from him comes the cornerstone. Now, the hymn is... The hymn right there, small h, is referring to the house of Judah. Again, at the end of verse 3, it says, The house of Judah. It says, And will make them his royal host in the day of battle. From him comes the cornerstone. That is a name of Jesus. That's a messianic prophecy. We see uh, a number of times in the New Testament, including by the words of Jesus himself, he refers to himself as the cornerstone. It says, from him, meaning the tribe of Judah, will be the ten peg. From him, the battle bow. From him, every ruler together. They shall be like mighty men who tread down their enemies in the mire of the streets in the battle. They shall fight because the Lord is with them and their riders on horses shall be, be, be put to shame. So this is a reference to the, 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 um, a time at some time in the future, not only of the Messiah coming, the cornerstone, the name that Jesus gives himself, but also to a time when Israel would be regathered and they would become like mighty men again. Verse five, who tread down their enemies. 
Look, say, say whatever you want about the IDF, their current military force. You don't want to mess with them. <laughs> and, and, and it's a foreshadowing, a foretaste uh, of what's even uh, be coming in the future. And this is coming at a time, folks, where Israel's been decimated. And so he's, he's, he's encouraging them. At some time in the future, you guys are going to be rebuilt. Now, the Maccabees were only in power for a very short time, and they were never really a sovereign nation. Um, but there was gonna, there's going to come a time where out of Judah, there will be mighty men who will tread down their enemies. They will fight because the Lord is with them, verse 5. Verse 6, I will strengthen the house of Judah. I will save the house of Joseph. I will bring them back because I have mercy on them. They shall be as though I had not cast them aside for I am the Lord their God. I will hear them. I love First John. It says very simply, if, if, if you ask, the Lord hears. And if the Lord hears, he will answer. It's just encouraging sometimes just to be reminded uh, that the Lord hears. He hears the prayer of his children. Those of Ephraim, another name for Israel, shall be like a mighty man, and their heart shall rejoice as if with, with wine. So again, it says, yes, their children shall see it and be glad. Their hearts shall rejoice in the Lord. Again, these are a downtrodden people. They're a defeated people. The temple, which was the center of their life, is in rubble. It's just a bunch of rubble, and he's giving them this. It's all going to change, guys. It's all going to change. Verse 8, I will whistle for them and gather them. I will whistle for them and I will gather them. Now, I understand shepherds, some shepherds, that's what they do. They whistle and their sheep come. And we, we've seen this regathering. This is, this is, um, th- this is uh, the next four or five verses are a prophecy which we have seen fulfilled even in our own day. But, you know, for the last 50 years, we've seen this happening. That, that, that God is just putting it on the heart of Jews all around the world to return to Israel after for 2,000 years. This is a, so, an astounding sociological miracle that an ethnic group that was dispersed around the world was not just assimilated and disappear into the general population, which is what happens most of the time whenever an ethnic group is, is sort of dispersed around the world. Not, not so. They have regathered. I will whistle for them and gather them. I will redeem them. They shall increase as they once increased. I will sow them among the peoples. They shall remember me from far countries. That's indeed exactly what happened with Jews. They were sown all around the world among the peoples. They shall live together with their children, and they shall return. Joe Foch, the pastor of Calvary Chapel, Philadelphia tells this wonderful story at one of his trips to Israel. This man sitting next to him in the plane or on the way to Israel or on one of his Israel's trips or at the airport or something like that. He's just talking with this guy. He's not a religious Jew at all. He's saying, so why are you going back to Israel? And the guy's like, yeah, you wouldn't believe it. He goes, I've been in the States for 30 years and all of a sudden, a few months ago, I couldn't get it out of my head. You got to go back to Israel. 
and stay there and live there until you die. And I thought to myself, oh, wait, oh, wait, just wait until I tell my wife. She's going to kill me. And he said, he went to his wife and he, said, and he said, Mabel, whatever her name is. I like that name, Mabel, in storage. Good name, Mabel. Say, Mabel, I have something to tell you. You don't have to tell me. I know what, it's gonna, I know what you're going to say. Really? What? You're going to tell me we're moving back to Israel. What? How did you know? Because the same thing's been going on in my head. And Joe Foch, Pastor Joe, said, so do you guys believe in God? No. <laughs> You're kidding me, right? I mean, don't you think that maybe God has something to do with this? <laughs> you know? So, so he, but, but this is what's happened all over. It's the biggest exodus since the book of Exodus. It's been b- bigger than the Exodus, actually. The amount of Jews coming from Russia, from Eastern Europe, from, from Ethiopia, all around uh, the world. In verse 10, it says, I will bring them back from the land of Egypt, signifying the south, and gather them from Assyria, signifying uh, the north. I will bring them back into the land of Gilead and Lebanon until no more room is found for them. It's a crowded place over there in Israel now. I mean, it's like sardines in a good part, part of this country. It says there shall be no room for him. A lot of the Jews now can relate over there. He shall pass through the sea with affliction and strike the waves of the sea and the depths of the river shall dry up. Some people think the beginning of verse 11 is a reference to the Holocaust. He will pass through the sea of affliction. Then the pride of Assyria shall be brought down and the scepter of Egypt shall depart. So I will strengthen in the Lord they shall walk up and down in his name, says the Lord. Verse, verse uh, chapter 11. Okay. I hate to do this to you. But here, he goes to a completely different time of history. 70 AD. The Romans coming in and slaughtering um, and destroying Jerusalem again. This, this is what happens in chapter um, 11. So he goes to the future with Alexander the Great, and then similar to Daniel, he goes beyond that to the time of Rome, when the Romans would afflict the Jews. Open your doors, O Lebanon, that fire may devour your cedars. So all of a sudden now, he, he, is going, he goes from a chapter all about the rebirth of Israel that's not going to happen for, we don't know for sure, 2,000 plus years. He goes back in history to another time, which is about 500 years later after the time of Christ. Open your doors, O Lebanon, that fire may devour your your cedars. Wail, O cypress, for the cedar is fallen because the mighty trees are ruined. Wail, O oaks of Bashan, for the thick forest has come down. That's what the Romans did, by the way. They came down and just plowed through... um, you know, th- the, the, some of the forest down, this type of thing. There is the sound of wailing shepherd for their glory is in ruin. So this, believe it or not, 
Jerusalem at this time is in ruins. This is speaking about a future time after Jerusalem would be rebuilt and would be ruined again. There's the sound of a roaring lion, for the pride of the Jordan is in ruins. Thus says the Lord my God, feed the flock for slaughter. Now this is, this is an unspeakable tragedy that's going to be, be playing out here where God's own flock is fed for the slaughter because of their, because of their rebellion, because of their rejection of Messiah. Thus says the Lord, my God, feed the flock for slaughter, whose owners slaughter them and feel no guilt. Those who sell, sell them say, blessed be the Lord, for I am rich. And their, and their shepherds do not pity them. Now, I tell you what, I'm going to read through this, so this <laughs> and, and refer back, so this makes a little bit more sense to you. For I will no longer pity the inhabitants of the land, says the Lord, but indeed I will give every one into his neighbor's hand and into the hand of his king, they shall attack the land and I will not deliver them from them. So I fed the flock of for slaughter and particularly the poor of the flock. I took for myself two staffs, the one I called beauty, the other bonds, and I fed the flock. I dismissed the three shepherds in one month. My soul loathed them and their soul also abhorred me. Then I said, I will not feed you. Let let what is dying die and what is perishing perish. Let those that are left eat each other's flesh. Now, um, in Luke chapter 19, you don't have to turn there, but I'm going to go there. Jesus, on his way to Jerusalem... It says in verse 41, it says that he drew near. This is his last trip to Jerusalem, or the last one before he, he returns in his glory, when he comes again. But he is just a few, few days away from being crucified. He drew near Jerusalem, and, and he saw the city, and he wept over it. And he says in, in, in Luke 19, verse 42, if you, he's speaking to Jerusalem now, this is Jesus speaking, if you had known, even you, especially in this year day, the things that make for your peace. In other words, he's speaking Jerusalem. If you only knew, it would give you peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you and close you in on every side and level you and your children within you to the ground and they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation. Visitation from who? Visitation from Messiah. Visitation from the Lord. When Jesus said this, in addition to, of course, he being the Son of God, God in the flesh, knowing that this was going to happen on 70 A.D., that Romans came in and did this very thing. Not one stone was left upon another. But he also knew Zechariah. We know that because that's why he told his disciples to go into Jerusalem and get a donkey. Come back with a donkey. 
I need to write into Jerusalem under John. He knew that about Zechariah in, in the pre, in, in, from Zechariah chapter 9. But he also was very aware of Zechariah chapter 11, which speaks of, scholars think that this is speaking of, I mean, you can't be dogmatic about it because some of this stuff is confusing, but it's speaking about the destruction that Jesus is referring to in Luke chapter 19. And so when it says here um, in verse 5, it says, feed the flock for slaughter in verse 4, whose owners slaughter them and feel no guilt it is, and then, and then who sell them and say, blessed be the Lord, for I am rich and their shepherds do not pity them. I strongly encourage you, and when we were in Luke chapter 19, I encouraged um, the church, read Josephus and the War of the Jews. It will so build up your faith. This is just a Jewish historian who lived at the time of the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD, it will really build up your faith. It really, really will because it's, it's all fulfillment of prophecy. It's fulfillment about what, what Jesus um, prophesied would, would happen and fulfills what Zechariah said would happen. One of the things that Josephus said, so he, here, here's what happened. In 70 AD, in 68, 69 um, AD, the Romans, at the time of Jesus, of course, they were in control of Palestine. They were in 68 or 69 AD, but there was a rebellion amongst the Jews, and the Jews took over Jerusalem. Titus, Vespasian, went to, um, to Jerusalem to take back the city for the emperor. He surrounded the city, and he sieged it, it was for, for one or two years. They just they wouldn't give up. Different things happened during that time. One of the things that happened is that the Romans bribed some of the Sadducees to, to give up portions of the city over to the Romans. Some feel that that is a fulfillment of verse 5. It says, feed the flock for slaughter, whose owners slaughter them and feel no guilt, those who sell them and say, blessed be the Lord, for I am rich. Some think that's a reference to the Sadducees. Remember the Sadducees in Jesus' time did not believe in the resurrection. They did not believe in, in the things of the Spirit. The Pharisees did, not the Sadducees. Sadducees today are like the, um, I don't know what you would call them. I hate using the word liberal. Very liberal Christians who don't believe in the, the resurrection. They believe Jesus existed, think he was a great guy. That's who the Sadducees were. They were very wealthy. And so many think that that's a, 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 a fulfillment of that. But let's go on in verse 6. It says, For I will no longer pity the inhabitants of the land, but indeed I will give everyone into his neighbor's hand and into the hands of his king. Now, remember when Pilate presented Jesus to the, to the Jews, what did the Jews say? He, um, he said, you guys want Jesus or you guys want Barabbas? Once a year at the Passover, Pilate, the Roman government, let one person go free, a prisoner go free. He offered them Jesus. They said, no, we, uh, we want Barabbas. They said, come on, this guy's your king. Remember what they said? What did they say? We have no king but Caesar. And some in, in commentators in verse 6 think this is a fulfillment of that where it says, but indeed I will give everyone into his neighbor's hand and into the hands of 
his king. Okay, you want him to be your king and not Messiah? That's going to happen to you. Verse 7. I fed the flock for slaughter, but in, in particular the poor of the flock took, um, took for myself two staffs, the one I called beauty and the other I called bonds. I fed the flock. I dismissed the three shepherds in one month. Now some, this is one of those verses, very, very hard to, to interpret. What on earth does this mean? I dismissed three shepherds in one month? Some people think it's a reference to the, to the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the Herodians who all opposed Jesus. They actually hated each other, but when Jesus came along, they all ganged up on each other, ganged up with each other, rather. They conspired with each other against Jesus. It's amazing when, you know, the righteous come along, you have some strange bedfellows, you know, enemies that will, will gang up. It's like the right wing and the left wing ganged up to go against uh, Jesus, essentially. Is, is what Some people think that that's who the three shepherds are. My soul uh, uh, loathe them. Their soul um, also abhorred me. They, they abhorred me. Who's me? Jesus. They certainly did. They, they, they hated him. They conspired against him to see how they could kill him, the gospels say. But for the grace of God, go we, by the way. Verse 9 says, then I, will, then I said, I will not feed you. Let what is dying die and what is perishing perish. Let those who are left eat each other's flesh. The only time this was fulfilled was in 70 AD. The only time that this was, the only time this occurred after this time, after this time, according to historians, was in 70 AD. Read Josephus and it's the detail that he gets into is just awful. It's just devastating. I think there was about a million Jews died. Something like three or 400,000 were captured and sold into slavery. But millions died in a famine because they would, the Romans wouldn't let any, any food in or out of the city. And so cannibalism set in. And I took, verse 10, I took my staff, beauty, and cut it in two. Some of your translations may say grace. I took my staff, grace, and cut it in two, that I might break the covenant which I made with all the people. So this is, he's talking about the covenant with his own people. Now in Romans chapter 9, we know that in Romans chapter 9, 10, 11, we know that God still has a plan for Israel. But there was certainly judgment at that time. So it was broken, verse 11, on that day that the poor of the, fl- of the flock who were watching knew that it was the word of the Lord. So there were some people at the time, the poor of the flock or the meek of the flock or the believers of the flock who looked around and said, wait a second, this is all from the Lord. This judgment that is coming upon us, 70 AD, two-year siege by the Romans, Oh no, this is from the Lord. Then I said to them, if it were agreeable to you, give me my wages, and if it's not, refrain. So here you go, another messianic prophecy. So they weighed out for my wages 30 pieces of silver. And the Lord said to me, throw it to the potter that I, that princely price they set on me So I took the 30 pieces of silver and threw them down in the house of the Lord for the potter. 
So in case you don't recognize that, this is a prophecy of the 30 pieces of silver that Judas took to betray Jesus. These two verses are quoted in Matthew. They're quoted in Matthew. It says, throw it to the potter that the princely price they set on me. So I took the 30 pieces of silver and threw them into the house of the Lord for the potter. So what, do you guys remember what happened? He threw his, uh, Judas, it says he repented. His repentance had nothing to do with God. His repentance had to do with, the Bible speaks about a worldly repentance and a godly repentance. A worldly repentance is like you're really bumming like elephant tears because of the, of the consequences that are coming upon you because of your bad behavior. That's worldly repentance. Godly repentance is when you bring God into your repentance. So you're not only bumming out about the consequences, but you're like, you're taking it to the Lord. Lord, this is all about my sin against you. David says, when he, after he sinned against Bathsheba, against you and you alone have I sinned. Judas has had a worldly repentance. He's got the silver in his hand, and he's like, I killed, I, I betrayed innocent blood. He takes it back to the, um, he takes it back to the temple. He, they didn't want, <laughs> they didn't want their money back. The temple priest or whoever had, had given them the money didn't want the money back because it was blood money. So he took it and he threw it there. He cast it there, I believe. They used, I think he used the word cast. Use that, uh, we're talking about that word this morning in the morning service. But, um, but then the money was actually taken and, and, and it was used to what? To buy a potter's field. Which was a, a um, again, a direct fulfillment of Zechariah eleven thirteen. Now, a potter's field. There's some debate about what exactly a potter's field is. Some believe it's there's so much pottery at the time. Uh, you know, we sort of take for granted our garbage trucks and dumps and stuff like that. But and you know, you're throwing out plates or whatever. You never see them again. But there had there was some. There had to be somewhere to take um, uh, all, just all the broken pottery they actually used to have fields to just put all the broken pieces and and they used to just pile up like sometimes in these places where we see dumps it's kind of similar to that other people i think some people think a potter's field was clay it's not it was was the clay that the potters got it's it's unclear um what a potter's field is but it zechariah 13 (laughs) throw it to the potter and, he, and, and so, I, so I took the 30 pieces of silver and threw them into the house of the Lord. That's what Judas did. It's interesting, so interesting to me. Um, fascinating, encouraging. At the beginning of verse 13, it says, throw it to the prodder, that princely price that they set on me. It should be a capital M there. They put... Th- how much was Jesus worth to them? Th- 30 pieces of silver they were willing. Now some of you may have a footnote there, Exodus 21, 32. If your slave, and in the book of Exodus, if a Jew's slave was gored by an ox, he had to give the owner of the slave 30 pieces of silver. And so 
apparently is an illusion here just to how awful their view of was of Messiah. You know, uh, uh, again in verse 8 it says, their soul despised, abhorred me. I'm nothing more than a slave. Uh, And so this remarkable prophecy here. Now, let's get into some real difficulties here. Here's a big one. So your skeptic sometimes will bring up these verses when they are quoted in Matthew. They quote these very verses, and you know what it says at the end? Anyone know this? As was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. Eek! doesn't say as was spoken by the prophet Zechariah. There's, n- there's nothing like this in the book of Jeremiah. So what's, you know, what could that possibly be a reference to? Well, um, some think it is an error in Matthew, not made by Matthew, but a later copyist. Someone who was copying over the manuscript I don't like that solution. Some think that um, Jeremiah spoke the prophecy and Zechariah recorded it. I don't like that either. I like the third um, theory that the reason Matthew ascribes this particular prophecy to Jeremiah is because it was on Jeremiah's scroll. Makes a lot of sense to me. So Jeremiah and Zechariah were very close to one another um, in terms of, you know, when they lived. Interestingly, Zechariah quoted often in the New Testament, but never by name. And so uh, some of these scrolls apparently would have multiple prophets on them. And, and at one time, it is believed that Zechariah was just part of the Jeremiah scroll and it was referred to the Jeremiah scroll. But, you know, on Sunday nights, I don't like to just skip over this stuff. And I, do, I want to equip you guys to, the Bible does say, we just read in First Peter, be prepared to give a defense, you know, for this type of thing. But one of the things to turn around and say if someone says that is says, well, by the way, okay, there's a discrepancy there. But w- what do you say about this prophecy that was uh, g- given 500 years before Jesus? Um, and so interesting there. Verse 14 says, then I cut into my other staff. So his first staff was the staff beauty he, or grace. He, he cuts that in two. And then he cuts uh, into my other staff, which is named bonds, that I might break the brotherhood between Judah and Israel. And the Lord said to me, next take for yourselves the implements of a foolish shepherd. Before I go on there, um, the, the bonds is is it, it carries with it the the idea that um, at this time Israel was being held together in the area of Palestine. Again, we're at 70 A.D. now, but it, but but after the Romans came in and destroyed Jerusalem, a million Jews were killed. The Jews went and dispersed again, yet again all over the world. And so the bond or the bands keeping them together were loosed and, and they were scattered throughout the world. Okay. So verse 15, 
again, these prophets, not easy at all to read. It is believed that verse 15 and 16 here and 17 is a reference to the Antichrist. Now remember from the book of Daniel, the last reigning empire was going to be um, the Roman Empire. And in the Roman Empire, um, which was the, 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 the legs of this image, this monster image in the book of Daniel, the, the, the leg, legs were, was it iron? Iron. But the feet of those legs were clay and iron. And, and it is believed that the Antichrist is going to, some scholars believe, and no one agrees on all the details, but some scholars believe that the Antichrist is going to come out of the remnant of the Roman Empire, and that's why it's iron, the feet are iron and clay. Makes a lot of sense to me. When we were in Daniel, we, we took a very close look at the relationship between the Roman Empire and basically Europe today. It's amazing as you go throughout the last couple thousand years, the Holy Roman Empire, and a lot of it is in many respects still in, you can actually sort of trace it back. It does make sense. It says in verse 15, the Lord said to me, next take your, for yourself the implements of a foolish shepherd. Now, this foolish is not dumb. Foolish is a shepherd who doesn't believe or honor God. The word foolish in the Old Testament is used like that. In Proverbs, a fool is not referring to someone who is um, dumb. It's referring to someone who actually is wicked or doesn't believe in God. The, the fool says in his heart that there is no God, the psalmist says. So this particular shepherd is going to rise up. Now some, again, believe this is a reference to the Antichrist. For indeed, I will raise up a shepherd in the land who will not care for those who are cut off, nor seek the young, nor heal those that are broken, nor feed those that still stand, but he will eat the flesh of the, of the fat and tear their hooves in pieces. Woe to the worthless shepherd who leaves the flock. A sword shall be against his arm and against his right eye. His arm shall completely wither and his right eye shall be totally blinded. And so that's a reference to the return of Christ when the Antichrist is going to be destroyed. Some believe. We don't know for sure. These are hard chapters to, to, to navigate. But man, do they have just rich jewels in the midst of them. We're going to close at this point, and for the last 10 minutes, we're going to pray.